Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It is time for more word foolery. And this month, we are going to be approaching our national holiday, St. Patrick's Day, next week. So we have some suitable words in there like era and parade, uh, as well as a nod to a female scientist, as it was International Women's Day yesterday. And our favourite author is back. I'm delighted to have Grace Tierney on the line. How are we doing, Grace? Hi Sinead, lovely to talk to you. Lovely to have you back again. Now we are going to milk International Women's Day a little bit longer. Why not Grace? And you have something in there called the APGAR score which was named after a female scientist and I'm ashamed to say I've not a notion what this is or the scientist or anything about it. That's shocking. You shocking. have children. I would have taught you that at least know what an APGAR score was. Not all a right, clue. Well, that's fine. I'll explain <laughs> it all. And plus anyway, not everybody has kids. So, right. The APGAR score Um I should probably tell you what that is first before I talk about the person behind yes. it. So basically, when a new baby is born, at pretty much the minute it's born, it's taken away and assessed by the midwife or the doctor or the nurse uh, on five different categories. So it's heart rate, respiratory effort, muscle tone, reflex response and colour. Right. So if they're lovely in pink, that's good. So there are five different things and they get two points for each one. So in total, a maximum APGAR score for a really healthy baby, it's delighted it's out in the new world, is 10. If it's lower than that, then they will start taking medical interventions to try and help it and whatever bit of help that it needs, right? Mm-hmm. So as as a mum in the delivery suite, if you know about this, you're sitting in the bed, you know, delighted <laughs> that the baby's out and listening for that number because you really want that number to be as close to 10 as you possibly can get. Um, in fact, it's a running gag in my house uh, that if you have uh, the sort of parents that go, oh, little Jimmy got all A1s in their leaving cert. Little Jimmy was brilliant. Little Jimmy was fantastic. We we would have code for that, which is, oh, they got an Afghar 14, which is actually impossible. <laughs> so both <laughs> parents will say, oh, my child got a 10 on the Afghar. You know what I mean? I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So the thing was actually invented in 1952. And I was saying this one a couple of times to people yesterday for International Women's Day because I quite like the woman behind it and she featured in my book How to Get Your Name in the Dictionary because it's an eponym. It's named after her. Her name was Virginia Apgar and she created this in 1952. So she was a paediatrician and she basically, the invention of this Apgar score has dramatically increased good outcomes for babies at that time because they're checking them at one minute, they check them again at five minutes and give the really quick heads up to the medics that they need to intervene if there's any problem. Um, she wanted to be a doctor from quite a young age, and she was quite a, an early uh, female into the medical field, managed to get scholarships, became the first full female professor at Columbia University of uh, Physicians and Surgeons, which is 
quite cool. Mm. But then decided that she was going to specialise in anaesthesia um, at a time when that was very much a lower class medical specialist and was like, oh yeah, do that if you want, but we're not going to pay you very much. She invents this, eventually gets the scoring system adopted and it starts really helping children and you know, realistically has probably saved quite a few lives over the decades since. And it's used in all the Irish hospitals today and around the world. So she spent the rest of her career then preventing birth defects and doing public education and research fundraising. Also decided to learn how to make musical instruments, became an amateur pilot, was an enthusiastic fly fisherwoman and a brilliant musician. So she just sounds like she was completely formidable and nobody was going to say no to her. They weren't going to stop her being a doctor and they weren't going to stop her helping babies. I love it. And another case in point, uh, you know, why on earth is an amazing scientist like Virginia Apgar not taught more in school? Like I'd never heard of her until today. So there you go. Yeah, and I hadn't heard of her until I started researching the book because then I started looking for all these eponymous people. And the more you do that, the more you realise that you don't get your name in the dictionary unless you've done something really extraordinary. You've come to public attention and people have gone, wow, that's really cool. And then the word just gets into, you know, everyday parlance. There you go. Now we are approaching our national holiday, St. Patrick's Day, and you have some words associated with festivities. Let's discuss ERA, first of all. That's just, what, Irish for Ireland, pretty much? Uh, Pretty much. um, But do you know it's named after a person? I didn't. No, neither did I. It's another one of these (laughs) ones. And the best thing is another amazing, formidable woman. Now, what I will say is that it's hard to know if she was a real person or a myth stroke legend because it's way back. Okay, like, well we like myths as well. We do. The Vikings, it's way back on the Irish history stuff. So realistically we have legends and oral stories from this time. It's not like you have a history book that's accurate for this time. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you all about her. So Era, obviously that's what on, on our postage stamps and Erin, both of those are the same, right? And then you get the English language version then is Ireland. But it all comes from a woman called Eru. So in legend, she was the wife of the Irish king MacGrainia. Now MacGrainia translates from Irish as son of the sun, as in the solar sun. Well, funny um, enough, so I've heard of him, like, but I... Well, do you know what I mean? Isn't that typical? <laughs> of course we have. <laughs> We've heard of the man. Uh, yeah, in fairness, you would have probably heard of MacGrainia. And there's a chance that he may have been a real person or he could have been a demigod. The whole association with the sun could have been some sun worship, etc. right? Mm-hmm. So she's described as the matron goddess of Ireland. So she's definitely on the legendary side, but the story of how we get her name for Ireland is just brilliant. I love it. So she led the Tuatha Dé Danann army in battle against the invading Miletians who came from Galicia in Spain. They land in roughly County Kerry and they're invading Ireland trying to take it over. Now, unfortunately, she does lose, which is a bit sad. And she's tragically, she's mortally wounded. Now, Amorgan, who is the, pardon my pronunciation on all of this, by the way, who knows how it was actually pronounced, um, was the leader of the Magician. And he was very taken by her bravery in battle and tended to her. She died in his arms, all this type of stuff. And he saluted her courage and he promised her when she was dying that the land that she had given her life for would always have her name and it would be Eru. And that's how we get there. I love that. That is a fantastic story. I, that's fantastic. I, I, I've i got a new appreciation for our country and our homeland and, our, and the name and everything. And you see, an awful lot of people then, you know, like to pick Erin, don't they, as names for their children, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
And ultimately, yep. they're being named after essentially a warrior princess who led her whole country, defended it to her last breath. I mean, it's impressive stuff. And, you know, something we can all be proud of as Irish women. That's, that's who we're descended from. That's what I reckon. Fantastic. And uh, all the errands. There you go. New appreciation for your name. Uh, we are all going to miss parades this year for the second year in a row. But you do have uh, a story around parades, don't you, and the origin of parades? I do. I thought we we have to put parade in. Yes. Words. I went off and looked that one up this month to try and find out about it. So it entered the English language in the 1600s. So it's quite an old one. And I should have guessed this. It actually comes from military parades. Of course. Yes. Assembly. And if you guessed, I didn't even think that before I started looking. So that was soldiers assembled for inspection, basically make sure they're all, you know, ready to go. They've got their weapons and they're all marching in the right direction. Um so it came via French into English uh, and ultimately from Latin. So there's a Latin verb, uh, parpare, uh, which means to arrange, adorn or to dress with care. I quite like the, the bit about sort of doing your accessories and dressing with care because soldiers do do that. And of course, when you're preparing for your St. Patrick's Day parade, your costume is super important. But by the end of the first century of us having this, we're not just having military parades. We're also having public walks professionals, you know, anything where you're marching down the mm-hmm. street or, you know, parading who you are has become a parade. Um, and by the 1800s, you even have a secondary meaning of parading yourself, basically being a way of showing off in public, you know, and let's be honest, that's what a St. Patrick's Day parade <laughs> is all about. It is. It's all about, you know, the, the baton twirlers. They always catch my eye every time or, you know, the bands and stuff performing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And, and honestly, that's what we're going to miss this year. We are. It'll come other years, it will. And the good thing is, it's been going on for quite a long time. So having looked up the word, I then kind of went, I just find a bit curious. How long have, you know, if parade, if military parades goes back to 1600, how old are St. Patrick's Day parades? So I'm sure at least one person amongst your listeners is probably shouting at the radio and going, oh, I know the answer to that. Right? <laughs> because if they're from Waterford, they'll definitely know it. The first St. Patrick's Day parade was in Waterford. I thought it would be Dublin, but no, it was Waterford. And it was in 1903. So wow. maybe, I kind of thought maybe 1950s. I don't know why. I just have this perception of like the old-fashioned parade with like one tractor and a guy with a donkey kind of thing. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure it was better than that in Waterford, by the way, just trying to say. Um, but they're way earlier than that in America, which I was stunned to discover. So the first one in New York was in 1762. Wow. So the Irish Americans have been super proud of St. Patrick for a heck of a long time. That is then, huge. I had no idea. 1700s. Wow. Okay. Goes further back. This is the one that blew me away, right? So in 2017, a researcher down in a uh, university down in Florida is going through papers and finding out things about his local town, which is St. Augustine. Never heard of it, but it's obviously a place in Florida. Some of them are written in Spanish, and this particular researcher can speak Spanish and translates it and is looking for something completely different. And then it's astonished to discover that it's a description of a St. Patrick's Day parade that the town for special feast days would fire the town guns to celebrate them and that one of the feast days was St. Patrick's Day. And I'm kind of going, well, is that really a parade? Yeah, it is, because it also describes how the people processed through the streets. Wow. And they processed because they don't even have the word parade yet, because the parade word, as we've discovered, yes. was actually a few decades after this, because this takes place 
1601. Oh my God. <laughs> that, is, that is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I'm never going to give out again in the way that sometimes we do about Americans coming over for St. Patrick's Day. No, let them have it. Let them have it. I think we're going to we're going to definitely let that one go. We Really, they've put their time in. I mean, 400 years of St. Patrick's Day parade in Florida. I mean, you don't associate Florida with Irish. Not at all. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay, and next year, of course, they will be, uh, please God, bigger and better than ever. Uh, Now, the last one you have here, uh, this has got me bamboozled completely. What is a griffinage? (laughs) Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I love doing this. Just so you know, I always put one word in that I know you're going to struggle with. (laughs) I'm just evil. I'm sorry. It's my evil side coming out. Um, I would say griffinage or griffinage, to be honest. It probably doesn't matter, right? But definitely Griffin. Um, I looked this one up a while ago because uh, I have terrible handwriting. I don't know, is your handwriting good? Well, not if you're like if you're looking at the moment at my sheets, no, because I scrawl in between the ad breaks, just things to remind myself. I can only decipher what it is. So I would say I probably would be a, a terrible handwriting. Yes. Yeah, good. I'm. You're in the same boat as myself. <laughs> I'm notorious for it. My poor school teachers despaired. My own children and husband cannot read my handwriting, which is quite entertaining if I write the shopping list. Um, uh, literally, there's about three people that can read my handwriting, and they all went to school with me and copied my notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only reason they know how to read it. Um, but anyway, Griffinage or Griffinage is a careless handwriting, a crude or illegible scrawl. And I just think it's a wonderful word for it. So I went looking to find out where on earth we actually got it from. Now, it's not in a lot of the dictionaries because it's quite an old one that's Mm -hmm. not used regularly anymore, but I think it's good enough to come back. Um, Basically, it has a link to a griffin. Now, do you know what a griffin is? Well, this this was my question. I was going to ask you, does it have a link to a griffin? Isn't that a kind of a bird-lion creature? No? Very good. Yes, That's go. very good. Are you sure you didn't Google that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. I promise. I promise. Okay. Yes. So a griffin is a mythical creature from Greek legends, um, which had the head and wings of an eagle, and then it's paired with the body and hindquarters of a lion. You might occasionally see it in a sculpture on a building or something like that. It was believed to live in a place called Scythia, Scythia, and it guarded a horde of gold. So if you ever see one, definitely follow it home. Um, it gives us the old French word griffon for bird of prey and griffon just comes into English for that meaning mm-hmm. around the 1200s. So it's quite an old word. Now, if you think about early writing systems back in Greek times, you might have been, you wouldn't have been writing on paper, but you might have been scratching letters or symbols onto wax tablets, which could then be melted down and written on again, the so reusable wax tablets. And you might be scraping that possibly with a claw or a stick or a stylus of some form. And that's where we're getting it from. So you've got Middle French griffonier uh, to scribble. And that comes from griffon, which at this point is being used as a stylus. A stylus is a type of pen. So, And then age is just making the act of something. So if you've got sabotage, that's the act of Sabotaging something, sabotaging it, <laughs> um, and then griffonage, right? Um, not giving good examples on a hajj, but it is a, a suffix, uh, yeah, suffix, not prefix, that's used with certain words. But it comes back to griff for claw. And to be honest, I keep thinking about the griffon trying to hold a pen in his claw, trying to do writing. And that's that's a g- the type, that's the handwriting <laughs> I would produce. 
That's a good good description of it. Absolutely. You're going to make me more wary and conscious now of of my griffinage, uh, you know, scrawls here uh, in future. That's for sure. Grace, as always, thank you for such entertaining and interesting word. Really have brief St. Patrick's Day to you as well. Yeah, you too. Have a good one.